Amen. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Have you enjoyed being referred to as the church? Have you enjoyed that all morning long? Do you feel like, yes, I am the church. It's not the building, it's me. And um, as Ted mentioned at the beginning of the service, we are celebrating Pentecost Sunday a week early because next Sunday we're going to start preaching about prayer. And prayer is very, very important. And um, I believe the reason why the Lord has led us into this direction to talk about Pentecost today, you know, right after Easter, Wednesday night meeting with the prayer group, we just felt so blessed about what God was doing in and through our church over the Easter time. We literally had 400 people in this sanctuary on Easter Sunday. Do you remember that? That was such a high for us. And we had that fabulous Easter egg hunt in the gymnasium. We had so many families attending, so many children. It was such a great high for us. But then a couple of weeks after Easter, as we were meeting on Wednesday nights to pray, we started thinking, well, what's next? You know, we want something else to celebrate because Easter was so much fun. And one of the things we started doing is we started reading through the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts that you find that after the resurrection of Christ... And after Christ ascended back up into heaven, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit fell on the church. And the church was born. And that is a wonderful reason to celebrate. And that's what we're doing today. So today we have a birthday cake for you, for the church. And I don't know if you can see the number up here, but it's 2000. Okay, so don't complain when your birthday cake says 60 or 80 or 40 or 55. This is 2,000. So give yourself a round of applause. 2,000 years old. And uh, we're going to ask Lisa, our fellowship deacon, if she can come up here. She's going to get this cake and she's going to take it out for us so they can cut it up and get it ready for the fellowship time. So hopefully I won't drop it and hopefully she won't drop it. And maybe you can carry it in such a way so they can see it as you go out. Turn it around. Okay. Okay. This is not a gag or anything, okay? This is, this is legit. We didn't set this up to be funny or anything. So now I just made her more nervous, huh? Well, if you look inside your bulletin, you have some teaching notes. I'm going to ask you to pull those out and get a pen or pencil ready as we go through this sermon this morning. And I just want to go over what the purpose of this message is today. I want you to know right from the start what the purpose of this message is. So when you leave this place, you will know what was our central theme, what was our central point. And this is it. The purpose of the message today, the aim of this message, is to inspire you and motivate you to be used by God in the lives of others in a trans formative way. See, Pentecost, or being full of the Holy Spirit, isn't just about me. Because we all need renewal. We all need to be healed. Our bodies, our souls, our spirit, our emotion, we all need that. We all need the joy. We all need the dynamite of the Holy Spirit. I mean, who doesn't want to be full of the Holy Spirit and have that type of joy and power in your life? Right? But Pentecost isn't just about us being filled so we can enjoy it. Pentecost is about us, the church, being filled 
so God can use us to transform other lives. Amen. Do you follow that? So that's a commitment we're making as the church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And God has promised us, God has given us His Spirit to empower us to be the church in our world today. So I want to begin this message with two very important questions. And Pentecost is a lot like 4th of July. And let me clarify. You know, every year where we as a nation celebrate the 4th of July, what do we often do? We often go back to the founding principles of our nation. You know, what did our founding fathers write? What were the initial concepts and principles that our nation was founded on? Because as the years go by, we drift away from our focus. We drift away from our true calling. We drift away from our true purpose. The same applies to the church. See, the church has been around 2,000 years. And it's important for us today to look back and focus. To look back and to find out and rediscover what our initial purpose is. And I know... You know, we're in a Baptist church today, and some folks would say, well, you know, a Baptist church, it's all about the Baptist potluck. Well, no, it's not all about the Baptist potluck. Oh, I really love the organ, and I love the pipes. You know, we love the the choir robes. Well, that's not our purpose. That's not our focus. So I want to begin by asking you a couple of questions. And the first one is, what is our calling as the church? What has God called us to be as the church? And the answer is to be witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. God has called me to be a witness. And in Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay? And I'm going to tell you something that a mentor told me when I was just a young 18-year-old preacher. When I was a young 18-year-old preacher, I thought God had called me to be Billy Graham, the next Billy Graham, to go out into the world and save as many people as I could. And I was a little bit discouraged because that wasn't happening. Right? You know what I'm talking about? You know, you look around at this enormous sanctuary and you see a lot of empty pews. You know, you get a little bit discouraged. You know, what's going on? Why aren't people getting saved the way I would like them to get saved? And this is what the spiritual mentor told me. He said, Eddie, we do not have the power to save people. We can't save people. We can't convince people. We can't persuade people. You can't go out into the world, into your workplace, into your school, with your families and relatives, and you're going to persuade people, and you're going to convince people to believe. What this man pointed out to me is that God has called me to be a witness. God is calling you and God is calling me to share our faith, to share the good news of Jesus Christ to co-workers, to neighbors, to family members. And that's it. It's all you're supposed to do because you can't save them. You can't convince them. You can't persuade them. Who does the saving? God. God changes lives. God transforms lives. God can convince them, persuade them, and save them. And maybe He'll let you baptize them after they make that first-time decision. 
So God has called us to be witnesses of the good news. Next question I want to ask you this morning. What does God do through His church? What does God do through us in Pasadena, in the San Gabriel Valley? God transforms lives. So write that in in your sermon notes. God transforms lives through His church. In Acts 2.4, it says, Those who accepted His message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter had this new boldness to preach, because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, God transformed lives through His disciples, through the new church that was born. And over 3,000 people were saved. Now this is huge. If some of you remember last year when we went through the 40 days of community, you guys remember we went through the 40 days of community campaign last year in the fall? And one of the key principles from the 40 days of community is that God has a plan for this world. God has a plan in 2009 to transform this world. And guess what the plan is? You are the plan. God's plan to rescue this world is through His church. We are the hands and feet of God in this world. And it's through us that God's going to transform lives. I was talking to one of our Parent Project facilitators on Friday night. And we were having a conversation about what God is doing through Parent Project to literally change the lives of families parents and young people and in the conversation that we were having we said to each other if we didn't have this program these people would not be coming if we didn't have these program these young people would not be coming to hear the word of god and be given the opportunity to be transformed so god's plan to change this world is you now is that not a lot of responsibility Is that a little bit intimidating? Is that a little bit scary? It is. It is. And that's why we as a church are so dependent on the Holy Spirit. We are so dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Most of what we do in Christianity, most of what you do in your Christian walk, you can't do it alone. Most everything you do in your Christian life a life of holiness, a life of prayer, a life of sacrifice. That is just something that we cannot do with our human intellect. That is something we just can't do in our humanness and in our flesh. Right? We try to quit an addiction. We try to change. We try to modify our behavior. And, and we just can't do it in and of ourselves. But it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that God can break bondages and God can break addictions. Amen? Amen. So this morning I want to give you just a very practical uh, story that comes out of Acts. Because we're looking at Acts 1, 2, and 3. This is when the church was born. This is when the church took its first couple of baby steps. And it started on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. And what I want to show you this morning is three ways, three very simple and practical ways that you can live 
a spiritually empowered life. And not only for you to live a spiritually empowered life, but how God can use you to transform and change other lives. Okay? And hopefully you're not saying, wait a minute, Pastor Eddie, what do you mean God's going to use me to transform other lives? I still yet need to be transformed. Don't worry about that. Do not worry about that. Because as God is working in you and through you and working on you, He's going to start working on other people at the same time. That's why the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for next week to give your life to God 100%. This is the day you can make that decision. This is the day that God can transform your life. So many times we give the false message in Christianity. Well, I want you to think about it or go home and think about it. No. God is here. His power is here. And He can change you and He can transform you today. Do you believe that this morning? Do we believe in an all-powerful God? Do we believe in an all-powerful God? Is Christianity supernatural? Is our faith a spiritually empowered faith? Yes, it is, folks. And God's power is here, and He can change lives today. You don't have to wait until tomorrow. So we're going to look in Acts chapter 3. So please open your Bibles or you could follow along with our slides this morning or follow along in your teaching notes. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 3. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 3 verse 1. The church was born on the day of Pentecost. In the following chapter, the church is taking its first baby steps. And we're focusing here on Peter and John. They had just finished preaching an incredible sermon on Pentecost. And God transformed lives. There was 3,000 people saved. And if He did it then, He could do it today. Do you believe these pews could be full of transformed lives? Do you believe that today? Do you believe this place can be full again of changed lives? through His church, through you, through the power of His Holy Spirit. Verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him. As did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking them by the hand, he helped them up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see, when the church is the church, when you allow yourself to be the church, 
when you allow God's Spirit to work through you, lives all around you will be transformed. Do you believe that? Parent Project team, on Friday night, that first Friday night session, when those parents come in and those youth come in and they've never been in this church before and they don't know what's going on, it takes a couple of weeks for it to start taking effect. And you start seeing that transformation happen. So when the church is the church, lives will be transformed around you. So number one, the first way you can have a spiritually empowered life is through a lifestyle of prayer. Why don't you go ahead and write that in your teaching notes. A lifestyle of prayer fuels a spiritually empowered life. And we read that in Acts 3.1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now prayer is the key to all this. Okay? Prayer is the key to all this. That's why next week we're going to start talking about prayer for six weeks. Prayer is the key. And Acts 1, 2, and 3 is bathed in prayer. In Acts chapter 1, what does Jesus tell His disciples to do? What does He tell them to do? Go, go pray. That's what He tells them. Go wait, go pray. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls, what were the disciples doing? Praying. In Acts chapter 3, at the beginning... Before this incredible miracle happens in this life of this crippled man, what was Peter and John getting ready to do? Oh, there you go. There you go. It's a lifestyle of prayer. It's a commitment to prayer. It's an understanding that without prayer we are helpless and hopeless. And you may be saying to yourself this morning, well, the disciples had an advantage over us. Because the disciples walked with Jesus Christ. They walked with the Master for three years. If you hung around Jesus Christ in the flesh for three years, do you think He would rub off on you? Huh? If you hang around a person long enough, you're going to start acquiring some of their traits and habits. Well, these disciples, you may say, they have an advantage over us. They walked with Christ. And they saw how Christ was dedicated and committed to prayer. After preaching all day or ministering all day, He would still pray all night. In the middle of throngs of people, where there was multitudes of people, He would say, Time out. I got to go pray. That's discipline. That's commitment. That's sacrifice. And if we are willing to commit ourselves and sacrifice, if we are willing to discipline ourselves and devote ourselves to prayer, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and he said, you know, before I came to First Baptist Pasadena, I didn't know anything about prayer. And I observe you Baptists. You guys pray before you eat at every meal, you know. You guys pray before meetings. You guys pray in church. I said, yeah, you're getting it. You're getting it. You're getting it. Right? And that's what we're doing. That's called discipleship. You know? And my little kids, man, they're one's eight, one's four. I mean, they argue at the table. I want to pray. I want to pray. It's not hard. It's easy. It's fun. It's engaging when you allow the Holy Spirit to help you and to work 
through you. So please, this week, as you begin living a spiritually empowered life to be used by God to transform other lives, dedicate some time to prayer. Commit yourself to prayer. It will work. It will work in your life. It will work in your marriage. I mean, if you've been going through a tough time in your marriage, you know, and you don't know what to do, you've tried counseling, you've gone for long walks, you've kicked the dog, you know, you, I, I, I've met men in church that have come to church with their hands bandaged. I said, what happened? Playing basketball? No, I got mad and I punched the wall. Come on. We all go through this kind of stuff. You know, and there have been some times when my wife and I have been upset and in disagreement and, and, and we pray. And it works, right? Or let's say you're having a bad day at work and you go to a co-worker. You know what? I'm mad. I'm upset. Let's pray. It works. So as you live that lifestyle of prayer, you're going to live out that spiritually empowered life. And God's going to use you. He's going to work through you to transform lives all around you. Are we committing to this this week, folks? We're going to do it? Amen. We're going to do it. This week, starting today, starting now. The second way, the second way to live a spiritually empowered life is trusting in God when there are limited resources is something that is produced by a spiritually empowered life. Trusting in God when there are limited resource is produced by a spiritually empowered life. And look what it said here in Acts 3, 6, and 8. We already read it, but let's just read it again. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, I want you to notice that this is a recurring theme in the New Testament. Limited resources. I want you to notice this. I wanted to have all kinds of pictures and images, but this would have just taken way too long this morning. But I want you to notice that limited resources... Why why doesn't everybody just say limited resources? Limited resources is a recurring theme in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the Epistles, in Acts. Do you remember when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount? And it was time to feed the people. How many fish and loaves of bread did they have? Five loaves and two fish. Was that limited resources for 5,000 people? Yes. Okay. Remember when Jesus was at a wedding at Cana? And they ran out of what? Yes, they ran out of wine. Limited resources. So sometimes I kind of relate to Jesus. You know, when I go somewhere, when I go to a party, when I look at my gas tank... Right? When you go to the checking account, are you following me? Limited resources. You know? And you come to First Baptist Pasadena, and yes, we are a great facility, but it's not about the facility, it's about the people. Right? And we look and we see the empty pews. We see limited resources. It's a theme, it's a pattern. All through the New Testament, all through the Gospels, all through the Epistles. And I believe some of you will say this morning, limited resources, that is the theme of my life. Right now I'm in limited resources. Count yourself blessed. Count that as an opportunity. 
If God has put you in a situation of limited resources, it's so we can believe. It's so we can have faith. It's so we can trust. It's so we can get out of the boat and walk on water. Are you with me this morning? As you see the empty pews here from Sunday to Sunday, you say to yourself, this is an opportunity so we can grow, so we can use, see new people come and get saved and changed and transformed. Not just some people, a whole lot of people. Are you catching that? Are you hearing that this morning? So trusting God when there are limited resources is a result of living a spiritually empowered life. And there are times when we look at our lives, we look at our financial situation, our relationship situation, our church situation, whatever the situation may be, we look at the limited resources. If we're not spiritually empowered, if we're not living that lifestyle, we're probably going to get frustrated, we're going to get depressed, and we're going to get discouraged. Yes or no? Right? We're going to get down. Might as well give up, might as well throw in the towel, there's no hope, there's no tomorrow. But when you've been praying, when you've been on your knees, when you've been turning to God, and you have God's Spirit working through you, you're going to have this ability, you're going to have the anointing to trust when there's limited resources. Have you ever met a person that just has that gift of faith and that gift of trust? You ever partnered with a person or worked with a person in ministry or whatever situation? And you say to your partner, uh, Bill, uh, it doesn't add up here. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. I know it's going to work. I trust God. I have faith in God. It's going to work out. It is? Huh? And then you start spreading it. It's contagious. You go to your friends. You go to other co-workers, whoever. Well, Bill says it's all good. He does? Well, if Bill says it's good, then it's good. We believe. See that? That kind of faith, that kind of trust... It's contagious. And sometimes when your family's in a tough place and they're down, which has happened in my family, you know, the wife's kind of down and the kids are down, and then dad has to step up. It's going to be all good, kids. Really, dad? Yeah, it's going to be good. The kids go run and play. The wife is all encouraged. Because you're walking it. Because you're living it. So let's try to be more contagious, not on the negative, depressing, discouraging way. Let's try to walk the trusting, faith, positive way. Because that is contagious. Man, I want you to leave this church this morning and say, Man, I'm inspired. I am motivated. God is going to use me this week through the power of His Holy Spirit to see lives changed, to see lives transformed. And it's just a matter of time. This church is going to be full. And we're going to have so many musicians and so many choir members and so many parent project teachers and whatever other ministries the Holy Spirit tells us to do. Amen. I'm getting excited this morning. Oh, this is so much fun. And Peter and John said, you know what? We don't have silver. We don't have gold. We don't have silver. We don't have gold. We don't have the resources. We don't have this. We don't have that. But... What do we have? What do we have? The name and authority of Jesus Christ. And it's so funny how that verse is written out because it just says, walk. (laughs) That's it. It wasn't no magic formula. It wasn't some big elaborate plan. It was just what? Walk. That's it. Walk. 
you know? And then he took him by the hand and he picked him up and it was all good. Awesome. Here's our last and final point here. Just fill that in in your teaching notes, please. Risk-taking faith and the courage to deal with the consequences of that faith is also produced by a spiritually empowered life. So risk-taking faith and the courage to deal with the consequences of that faith is also produced by a spiritually empowered life. How many of you know that there's going to be consequences when you step out in faith? You know, right? Right? And sometimes we think this. Well, if I step out in faith and I trust in God, then it's all going to be good. Everyone's going to be with me. Everyone's going to be on my side. What is the reality, folks? When you step out in faith, when you answer the call of God, when you answer His call and you step out in faith and you begin living your life like a risk taker, there's going to be positive consequences, but there will also be negative consequences. Okay? And in this story, in Acts 4, verse 18, where this story is wrapped up, Peter and John, because this man was healed, they were taken to the Sanhedrin. They were interrupted in the middle of this sermon. And we don't have the time to go in it and go through it. But in Acts 2, Peter gave a long sermon. And what was the result of that long sermon? 3,000 people were saved. In Acts chapter 3, after this man was healed, Peter started preaching again. You know, he started preaching again. He was always looking for an opportunity to share the good news. In the middle of his sermon, the Pharisees interrupted him. And they brought him before the Sanhedrin. If they had allowed him to finish his sermon with all those people listening, what do you think would have happened? More people would have been saved. See, this is the sign. This is the, this is the fruit. This is how we know the church is being the church. This is the church's function. The church is to be used of God to see lives transformed. That's the result. People getting saved. Decisions for Christ. Transformed lives. And Peter was interrupted in the middle of his sermon. They brought him before the Sanhedrin. Those were the negative consequences. You know? They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to put him in jail. They told him to be quiet. And uh, do you remember the old Peter? Before the Holy Spirit fell on him? What was the old Peter like? If you found Peter in the alley and you crossed him sideways, what would he do to you? Right? Right? If Peter told you, no, I'm with you, I'm with you, man, I'm with you, I'll back you up. No, I don't know him, I don't know that guy, I'm not with him. What was the old Peter like? Right? But how is the new Peter? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. He's bold preacher, and he's not a man of fear. He's a man of courage now, the right type of godly courage. Not the wrong type of machismo, trying to hurt somebody. But the right type of courage. And they were literally telling Peter, be quiet, don't step out in faith, don't be used of God so He can transform lives through you. And how did Peter respond? Let's just read this verse here as we bring this to a close this morning. Acts 4.18 Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot, we cannot help 
speaking about what we have seen and heard. Famous words of Peter, is it better to listen to man or to listen to God? So if there is anything in your life that has been an obstacle to living that spiritually empowered life, if there is anything in your life that has prevented you from living a full-blown, 100%, totally committed Christian life, get that out of your life. If there is some sin, if there is some addictive behavior, if there is some issue, a relationship, a situation that's preventing you from living that full-blown, spiritually empowered life for Jesus. Get that out of your life. Because this is what Peter says. No, we're not going to let intimidation. We're not going to let religiosity. We're not going to let tradition. We're not going to let man's thinking get in the way of what God wants to do in this earth. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And because we are focusing on Pentecost today, what better way, better way to conclude this than to actually give an opportunity for people who have not made that decision for Christ? Because on Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. And we want to honor that, that history of our church by giving an opportunity this morning for someone to give their life to God 100%, to ask the Lord to enter into their life, to ask the Lord to be the Lord of their life. And if there is something in your life you want to ask the Lord for forgiveness, He can forgive you, He can redeem you, He can transform you, He can do all of it today. And if you would also like to renew your life and rededicate your life and get your life right with God, what better day than to do it today? So if you are that person with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you are that person that you will... I'm not going to ask you to come up here during the service. Don't worry about that. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If you want to give your life today, if you want to make that decision for Christ today, God bless you. If you want to renew your life today, God bless you. If this is the day for you, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Don't wait. Don't wait for tomorrow. Take the risk. He will give you the faith to believe and to do it. You don't have to understand it all. Just give your heart to Him. Just raise your hand. Amen. Now I want you to pray this prayer where you're at and the rest of the congregation. Pray along just to encourage those that have raised their hand this morning. Heavenly Father, Creator, Redeemer, healer, be the Lord of my life. Take charge of my life. Heal my heart, my soul, my mind, my emotions. Forgive me of my sins and my disobedience. Transform me and renew me. Make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away and all things will become new in my life. I ask you this in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. Amen. 
And if you prayed, if you made that decision at the conclusion of the ser- ser- service, we have our prayer counselors. Please come up, let them know what decision you made. And when you turn in your communication card at offering time, please check the box that you made a decision or you renewed your life today to Christ. God bless you, church. God bless you, church. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together.